Hello and welcome to Setting the Skeen. I'm Ben. I'm Doug. I'm Tristan. I'm Elijah. And boys, it is good to be back once again. Uh, we're talking about uh, one of my favorite Disney movies this week, 2001's Atlantis The Lost Empire. One of your favorites? One of my favorites from Disney. Oh. I, th- I think I would say the same thing. Mm-hmm. We Didn't we all agree that this is a hugely underrated movie? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I no, audience... Doug? I mean, this is the first time I've ever seen it. I mean, I did not have a preconceived notion coming into it. That's fair. But, I mean, it's generally not talked about as one of like the great oh. Disney films of all time. Oh, hardcore, no, it's not talked about that much. But it should be, because it's a great movie. Yeah. Um... So, uh, so yeah, so this movie, you know, we got a pretty stacked cast. We have uh, Michael J. Fox leading us out as Milo Thrask? Trask. Thatch. Yeah. Okay, I don't know why I wanted to put another uh, another R in there. Um, Corey Burton, Claudia... Christian. La- Christian, sorry, her last name was covered. Uh, James Gardner, uh, John Mahoney, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Phil Morris, Leonard Nimoy, Don Novello... And other people. Um, and it was directed by Gary Truesdale and Kirk Wise. Um, so yeah, uh, so this movie came out in 2001. And I think especially for kids in our generation, uh, which I'm in the back end of. Uh, I'll say, yeah. weren't you born like right, like a year before this came out, Doug? Uh, two years, thank you very much. <laughs> Sorry, I, I thought you were 2000. You're much younger than us, Doug. That really hurts. <laughs> that you think I'm a 2000s baby. That j- like that cut like a knife <laughs> just then. Doug, when did you graduate high school? 2017. Mm. Okay, that's fair. Almost a 2000s baby. I was a year off, Doug. I, I cannot be blamed. You were in name only. No, in my no I, 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 <laughs> Ben, I don't know that we'll ever look at each other the same way as, as before. Okay. Um, so, now that I've questioned my entire existence, um, uh, so, boys, uh, kind of getting into this movie, uh, anybody got any good, like, recollection of it? Like I said, I've never seen it before. I've seen, like, maybe the last ten minutes of it over the span of, like, six years. Yeah. Fifteen years ago. That's it. I know I've seen it, uh... I can't specifically remember any instances where I had seen it, because, I, I mean, this was a movie I watched a lot when I was younger, um, <clears throat> so coming back and watching it, it was definitely fun to rewatch it, um, and I, honestly, I forgot how good this was. Like, I, I knew it was good, I knew I liked it, I didn't remember how much I liked it. I liked this movie a lot as a kid, too. I've seen it several times, and I think I was probably in high school the last time I saw it, so I remembered it fairly well. I don't think I saw it more than once when I was a kid, and then I watched it again. Pro- uh, I guess it was a year or a year and a half ago, and I was and I was like, "Wow, this is really good." I feel I feel like you watch I feel like you watch it right after Disney Plus came out because I feel like we all got that text that was like, "Guys, I just rewatched Atlantis: The Lost Empire, quality film." No, it was something else though. <laughs> No, I I know what you're thinking of, but it wasn't that movie. It was something else. You know what? I'm I'm just gonna pack up and I'm just gonna pack up and head out. I'll I'll let you know later. But I I know what you're thinking of, but I don't remember what the movie was. Uh, I I will say, even though I've never seen this movie before, I do have a small memory associated with it. Um, so my freshman year of college. Uh, so my freshman year. Of... I have a quick question, Doug. Yes. Uh, is this going to go uh, about like your uh, history with the Road to El Dorado, where uh, you thought that you had, or you told people that you had seen it when you really hadn't? 
No, I never told anyone specifically that I'd seen it, but, like, you know, people would bring up, like, Atlanta's Lost Empire. I'd be like, oh, yeah, that movie. Yeah. So, yes, the exact same thing that you did <laughs> no, with the Road no, Del Dorado. No, no, Because the Road Del Dorado, I deliberately lied to your face. <laughs> this movie, I was very up and I was very open about it. I was like, you know, never actually seen it. You just so, were like, oh, yeah, that movie. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't say I'd seen it. I was like, I understand the film you were referencing. That's me uh, with Indiana Jones. You had which thoughts. hurts because you really should see Indiana Jones. Um, but uh, ignore the fact well, that there's a fourth movie. But anyway, um, so my freshman year of college, uh, some friends of mine and I, my quote unquote squad from high school, uh-oh, uh-oh. they had come up to uh, to Athens, and we were looking for something to do, um, and. We were freshmen in college, so clearly there was no fun to be had. Um, and uh, well, legally, yeah. Um, so we were like, "Well, Rocky Horror Picture Show is showing at Tate Theater. Don't worry, I'm going to connect this back to Atlantis Lost Empire." Okay. So, so we go to see Rocky Horror, and of course, I started a tradition which I still carry on to this day, in which before Rocky Horror plays at Tate. They do games, and I, being the exuberant gentleman who I am, I, of course, volunteer my friends to do the games. So, you know, make a lot of noise, make a lot of commotion, so the guy will see me, and I can be like, no, 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 he actually wants to play. So my friend so my friend Nathan goes up, but Nathan's game is he has to blow up a magnum-sized condom the fastest he can. My boy Nathan shows up and shows out, and he blows up that magnum-sized condom. I'm pretty sure in, like, three breaths. It was very impressive. Um, And his gift, he could either get a VHS copy of Spy Kids or a VHS copy of Atlantis the Lost Empire. Sounds like a win-win to me. Yeah, no, he got the copy of Atlantis the Lost Empire. It's currently my wallpaper uh, on my computer lock screen. Yes, uh, I can attest that... um... Doug volunteering people for games before Rocky Horror. Yeah, he actually does that. Wait, and that's all I'm going to say about it. So the VHS copy is the wallpaper? No, no, no. The picture of us after seeing Rocky Horror with our like V's on our oh. forehead and him holding the the VHS copy. It was like our collective, ch- like the group of five that was there. It was like our collective child. I see. Interesting. So yeah. 2001... <laughs> yeah, uh, 2001, very interesting year, uh, kind of time period for Disney. Uh, you know, first things first, um, Disney is firmly out of their Renaissance era. Um, they they kind of are struggling to make their own to make their own name again uh, in the animation world because like animation has definitely changed by 2001. You know, you have DreamWorks, who's batting like 400. Uh, with everything that they've got. And you also have Pixar, who's slowly usurping Disney as, like, the animation capital. Now, Disney has a distribution deal with Pixar, but uh, but Disney's not really, like, getting any of that cash back. So it's all going to Pixar. So Disney is at this really interesting point in their life when they kind of just start spitballing stuff. Like, they just throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks. So, this is why you get something like an alien crashes to Earth and becomes the pet of a little girl. You get Lilo and Stitch. 
Great movie. Let's look at a let's make a road trip movie just about dinosaurs and make the whole thing CG. Uh, and you get dinosaurs. It was good. Um, the trailer was good. The trailer was good. <laughs> the music. The music is good. I'll give him that. The music in Dinosaur is good. Um, but bottom line, I mean, you see, you see Disney just kind of spitballing a bunch of different stuff at the board and seeing what will stick. And one of the things was Atlantis, uh, The Lost Empire. Something completely different animation style than Disney has done in the past. Um, and also supposedly a little more edgier. You know, you have... I think this is the first time in a long time that you see Disney characters smoking. Um, or blood, like, look, there's a lot of blood, I think. There is blood. This movie had an incredibly high body count. Oh yeah, it's amazing. Atlantis is kind of this, one of the first, uh, the first real big shots that they took at like, okay, we still need to maintain our, like, dominance in the sphere. Uh, and the problem is that they lost a lot of money. Budget for this movie was $120 million. It made $180 million. Which is considered a box office fail by a long shot. And this movie often reminds me of 2002's Treasure Planet, which Mm -hmm. we've talked about before. Um, I think there's a lot of similarities between the movies, including some of the animation style. Mm -hmm. Treasure Planet was also a box office disappointment. Mm -hmm. Uh Um, Is there a similar thing Uh, going on? So, I mean, I feel like it's the same thing like Doug was talking about. You know, Disney taking a chance with something that's you know, maybe a little darker, a little less safe. <laughs> there is a conspiracy theory that Disney cut the feet off of Treasure Planet on purpose. I don't know the details of that. Well, it's hard to say. Because, um, like, if you look at strictly, like, the market, the market will show you that CGI animation is on a steep incline. And it still really hasn't come back down. Um Whereas 2D animation, A, it costs more to produce, and B, it kind of is, you're selling it to a smaller demographic, because no matter how good your animation is, the initial response has got to be, that's a cartoon, that's a kid's movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think the way Pixar has kind of uh, curbed that behavior uh, of, like, you know, this is a cartoon, so it's a kid's movie, is A... They use a ton of celebrity voices. And B, they're constantly trying to make it look better. So I think that's why you've seen Pixar continue to climb, as well as just the rest of 3D animation. Um, Because you can also look at things like Blue Sky Studios, who did... uh, Ice Age. Ice Age, did Rio. Blue Sky doesn't make that many technological jumps. They have huge celebrity-packed voice casts, but they don't make that much of a jump in terms of their technology so they kind of are stuck in this like this is kids animation series whereas you look at something like uh man i'm forgetting the they did core Coraline, they did uh kubo and the two strings it's it's one company and i can't remember well the name of uh, we know what you're talking about um leica leica animation they constantly are updating their method of animating. Mm-hmm. Even though it all holds the same style, you know, they make it look sleeker, make it look cleaner, so that it is updated for an older audience each time. 2D animation, you don't have that luxury because there's only so much you can do. Um, so so I think that's why 
Disney, you kind of start to see them kind of like cut the feet of some of their animated classics. Or not animated classics. Uh, their 2D animated films. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, early 2000s, you're coming off the Disney Renaissance, which arguably ended with the Emperor's New Groove. No, it ended 2000s. with Tarzan. It ended with Tarzan. The Emperor, you would not say the Emperor's New Groove is a part not of that? Not even close. Emperor's New Groove is probably the shot across the boat that goes, hey, we might be in trouble right now. Because Emperor's New Groove lost a crap ton of money, too. Even though it's one of the greatest films ever Emperor's made. Emperor's New Groove is <laughs> high quality from beginning to end. We all have nostalgia for it. That's why we all think it's great. But Emperor's New Groove lost a ton of money. I, I didn't. I mean, it's a good movie. I didn't know that it. I didn't know it lost that much money. Yeah, it lost a ton of money. Well, and also, it was in development hell forever. Like it took over a decade to make that movie. Well, the the point I was making is like you have the Emperor's New Groove. Now you have several of these movies that came out after the Disney Renaissance and two thousands for Disney. Not the best time to be Disney. Uh, I mean, they they just they they had a lot of flops. Another one that was a pretty good movie, but did not make a ton of money. Brother Bear, mm-hmm. y'all remember that one? That's a, I saw it once in theaters. Like, yeah, that was pretty good. Uh, haven't watched it since. Yeah, um, and then you had movies like Chicken Little. Yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, I would also say, and a lot of people would say that, unfortunately, a lot of moviegoers are unlikely to go see movies that star characters of color. And I think mm-hmm. Emperor's New Groove, Brother Bear, both suffered from that. And I think um, The Princess and the Frog from 2009 mm-hmm. also suffered from that. And all three of those movies were also 2D animated. And some people say that uh, Disney was kind of throwing 2D animation together with their protagonists of color um, to just kind of... So that they would be another movie to put out, but not something they wanted to really bet a lot on. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting that you bring up Princess and the Frog because uh, you're you're right. It's released in two thousand nine. Disney does a very interesting thing. Disney basically says to the to the uh, to moviegoers, they're like, okay, we're gonna give you two movies, and you will basically pick what we continue on. Okay. So within, I think, three months of each other, they put up Princess and the Frog, and they put up Tangled. They're like, we're going to let you, the audience, tell us what we continue on with. If Princess and the Frog makes makes a lot of money, we will continue on. If not, we're scrapping our 2D animation department. Tangled makes a ton of money. Princess and the Frog, I think it makes its money back and then some, but it doesn't make nearly as much as Tangled does. Also, kind of getting back into... They were about uh, a year apart. Huh? They were about a year apart. Okay, still yeah. close. Yeah. But basically, I mean, same concept. Like, Disney just said, okay, we're going to give you two movies. Whichever one you say, yeah. we'll go with. Um, so, okay. So, I found the actual number I was looking for. So, from 2000 to 2002, Disney releases Emperor's New Groove, or 2000 to 2003. They release Emperor's New Groove, Treasure Planet, Atlantis the Lost Empire, Dinosaur, Lilo and Stitch... Brother Bear, and I think Home on the Range, okay? Dinosaur and Lilo and Stitch are the <laughs> only two of those movies that were considered a box office success. Yeah, and I think it's interesting to see, like, the generation that really grew up with those movies, you know, oh, yeah. our generation, are, like, calling and saying, like, no, these are great movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean, Disney definitely put 
everything they had. Well, mm-hmm. not everything, but they definitely put effort behind right. it. Like they got good people to work on the movie. They got good people to do the story. Had great voice talent. Um, it's just there was a there was a change in the in the market, and 2D animation suffered for it. Mm-hmm. Do you guys like the animation and art in this movie? Absolutely, I do. I do. Um, I'd say the part that really stands out to me is uh, when they're in the sub and they're fighting like the big robotic whatever thing uh, before it destroys the sub. Like that whole little sequence is really cool to watch. Yeah, it is. This movie, I think, understands what what you can do very well when blending CGI animation with 2D animation because CG it automatically is going to look fake manufactured. So what you do, you only use it on artificial textures. So you only use it on things like your metal skeleton, your metal subs. Um, you don't try to, you don't try to pull a Hunchback of Notre Dame and fill out your crowd with <laughs> with CGI people. Right. I mean, to be fair, they did that in Star Wars too. Yeah, yeah, but um, I mean, Star Wars is a live action film well, filled out with. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, Treasure Planet did did the same thing with cgi mm-hmm. yeah and they used it a lot in treasure planet yeah and it didn't always look good yeah um you know and but they i don't recall correct me if i'm wrong i don't i don't think any of the living characters had cgi except for, for the robot i think he, he was maybe part cgi at some, some you mean in so treasure planet and treasure planet because i was not here for that. there was also oh. the cyborg's eye that was cgi in oh yeah shots. Uh, but so, other than that all the characters were 2d yeah, so that was interesting. I mean, it's interesting that you said that. And there were some noticeable moments of CGI in, in Atlantis, but they they pretty they flowed pretty seamlessly, and none of them stood out. Mm-hmm. None of them were fantastical, even though this movie would arguably be as fantastical mm-hmm. as Treasure Planet. Yeah. Still on Earth, you know, so maybe not quite as much. But, I mean, they, they did it a lot. I think they did it more seamlessly, and it worked better in Atlantis. And maybe they just... They're like, oh, this is new. People like this. Maybe we should just do it more uh-huh. in, in, in Treasure Planet. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the fantastical elements in the movie, they do really lean on. Because you get a lot with the mythology of Atlantis with the different artwork, the different... Yeah. Like, you get to see the whole like architecture of Atlantis, uh, the different machines and everything that they've built. And, like, those are the different things that they kind of lean on to show off those fantastical elements that... Like, yes, it takes place on Earth, but it is a new place. It's someplace that you know, you don't normally get to see. Yeah. I think I think one of the best things that this animation does is it really it doesn't always have to be moving. Mm-hmm. It this animation is very good at doing subtle movements with still images, and I would argue that that's when the animation is at its best. There's a great shot, and you actually mentioned it when we were watching it, where it looks like just a still of this cave and then you slowly see light just kind of creep up on the sides. And it's not like the light is actively moving, but you just slowly shade in just a little bit more light on the rocks of this cave. And that's gorgeous. Yeah. I think when you can clearly tell out everything that's on the screen, I think that's when this animation is at its best. So I think in its slower moments is when it really shines. When it gets fast-paced, I mean, it still is great animation, but I think you start to lose some of that. Yeah, and I noticed several times in this movie, uh, take Milo, for example, he, I could tell when he was being animated by someone different. And it's like they kept the same style in a lot of ways, but in some scenes you would see, like, or some shots, you would see Milo being animated, and he was maybe a lot more in-depth with his emotions, and he was moving, and his like, hands were moving a lot more. 
and then another scene maybe he wasn't quite as expressive and i don't know i mean i'm obviously i wasn't there but it seems to me like you may have had some like the experience levels of the animators on this movie may have varied some yeah well i mean you know with 2d animation i mean you're gonna have some you're gonna have different people animating at all different at all yeah. pro, and there's at all probably going to be some inconsistencies throughout but i personally didn't notice that stuff so like i was okay with it yeah i i think i kind of get where i think i kind of know where you're talking about i i, but, I remember for, well, for example i remember this shot specifically where milo was i think it was right after um the what's his name the the, the guy who was in charge of the exposition uh like betrayed them or betrayed him Rourke. 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 And Milo was protesting and like just in a like he was talking really fast and he was like no this isn't right and I just I know I noticed a lot more from him like his animation than I had when he, he was in similar scenes when he was showing a similar amount of passion you know that's what I mean uh, so I mean just if anyone out you know out there is is going to watch this movie after we talked about it look for that and try to try, try to see what I'm talking about <laughs> if you can. <laughs> Hey guys, what's up? It's your pal Ben, and I'm here to interrupt the action with a few announcements. Now first, I just want to thank each and every one of you for listening today. It honestly means so much to each of us that you would take time out of your daily life to come and listen to four random people talk about movies. I mean, we know that you have busy lives, so thank you. Uh, I also want to give a special thanks to those of y'all who have signed up for our Patreon. Now, one of them is Doug, so I won't give him a super special shout out, but thank you, Doug. Uh, but the other one is my good friend, Robbie Jones. Robbie, you are amazing, and you're going to do great things in life. And thank you for choosing to go the extra mile and support us. Now, if you are interested in signing up for a Patreon, not only will you get a cool shout-out like I just gave to Robbie, you'll also get all sorts of cool bonus content from seeing behind-the-scenes photos. Uh, you'll get some posts from us. We do a monthly Q&A where you can ask us anything about whatever uh you can also get early access to both setting the skein and the flea pit and you also get so much other cool stuff you just have to check it out and if you are interested and want to check it out you can go to patreon.com slash vitermedia that's v-i-t-e-r now another great way you can support us is by getting a sticker or a button from our merch store we've got tea with doug g buttons we've got stickers we've got some buttons from our old some jerks days you can check all of that out at vitermedia.com slash merch. Now, the easiest way to support us is by just sharing us with your friends, your family, whoever you meet. Whether they like movies or they just like podcasts. Maybe they hate both, but they might give us a shot. Maybe we can change their minds. Who knows? You can find out, though, by sharing us. Uh, also, be sure to follow us on social media. Uh, all of our accounts are super easy to follow. It's just at vitermedia. Now, if you want to support a specific show, what you can do, you can go onto the show page for whatever platform you're listening on, leave us a rating and review. It would be amazing to see y'all do that. Now, that's all I've got. Uh, be sure to check out the other shows on Viter Media. We've got Tea with Doug G coming up on Monday night, and then on Fridays, we've also got The Flea Pit. Uh, they're both incredible shows. You do not want to miss them. Now, let's get back to setting the scheme.
so uh, we talked about the animation, kind of some of the more fantastical elements of the movie. How do we think that would transfer over if Disney decides, like some of its other movies, to make a live-action remake? I'm afraid it would not work that well. I don't think it would work either. I ask because uh, among, you know, the community on the internet, this is a movie that people do want to see a live-action remake of. Well, it probably won't happen because the original wasn't that much of a success. Right. Um, but even if it did, I'm afraid it would look the way the Aladdin remake looked. Mm, yeah. Which was very sort of... Not good? Yeah. <laughs> it was so, like, manufactured and just... I, it was it was like watching somebody's dream, and it didn't <laughs> it didn't look good. I think it, for this to work as a live action movie, it, I would need a very stylistic take on how it's presented to us, and it would ha- it would need to look different than how it was in this movie. Maybe not look different, but it would need to feel different. Like I would need yeah. some sort of tone, tonally, tonal shift in the live action film. Whereas, like, looking at Aladdin, not a ton of tonal shift was chain, like was happening from the animation to the movie. It was still very, like, you know, wild and, yeah. well, you know. Not good. Also, if they, if they do a live-action version, I really <clears throat> need Tommy Lee Jones to play Rourke. Yeah, absolutely. The character's animated. He, he looks like and sounds like Tommy Lee Jones, and I was surprised to know that that is not the voice actor for that character. I don't know. I don't know. I would argue... Not to not to say anything against Tommy Lee Jones. Love Tommy Lee Jones, but I do think I do think he might be a little too too up there to to, age. to play Rourke. Oh yeah. yeah, he's he's old now. I would I would suggest an actor who has played a younger version of Tommy Lee Josh Jones, Brolin. Josh Brolin. Yep. I think he could do really Maybe, well. Maybe, yeah. I, I, would, I would argue Josh Brolin. I guess my big thing with that, I would want him to make it his own instead of just being like... Oh, hardcore, yes. Well, we wanted Tommy Lee Jones, but we didn't get him, so be Tommy Lee right, Jones. Right, because you can see this, like, they're going for a Tommy Lee Jones. Right. Well, they're, I'm definitely... I'm, I'm picturing the homie Thanos. What's his real name? Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin, yeah. <laughs> I'm picturing him... Now. When you said Josh Brolin, my, my brain translated it to Thanos. But I'm picturing him as Rourke now, and I'm like, yeah, that would totally work. The homie Thanos. Okay. I would like that on a t-shirt. Did you see <laughs> Men, in, Men in Black 3? Uh, no. It was the third one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Where uh, Will Smith goes back in time and meets young Tommy yeah. Jones, a.k.a. Josh Brolin. A.k.a. Yeah. Agent K. Um, Let's try not to use character names in case people haven't seen it. Well, you know, I'm trying to use character names. and ca- Just shut up, Ben. <laughs> shut up. Just to throw in my two cents about the live action remake, I, I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with y'all. I think it's going to need to be hyper-stylized. Mm-hmm. going to need to be absurdly dark and gritty. Yeah, um, I would. I would. I really want this, the steampunk nature, because a lot of the technology in this movie is like, it's, it's, a, little, it's, it's a little more like advanced than... Yeah, no. I don't think we'd get that big underwater fight with the submarine and the giant like Leviathan thing. It, at the very least, wouldn't look the same. Yeah, no, not even close. This is really funny because I really am. I'm very mixed about his movies, but I really would like to see Christopher Nolan's take on Atlantis: The Lost Empire. I cannot see Christopher Nolan ever touching this, touching anything Disney. No, I mean, I agree with what, you. But, but like, if I mean, this movie like had it. never happened and you just pitched the concept to Christopher Nolan, I yeah. would love to imagine. See it. <laughs> Outside of Batman, I I still don't know that I could see Nolan doing anything that mainstream, but. I don't know. It's, it's just pitch. I mean, I'll believe that they'll do a live action version of this when I see a live action version Fair. of Hunchback. Mm, oh, yeah. That would be a good one. Yeah. 
Uh, we were talking about uh, what the leader. What's his name? Rourke. 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 Quite a character Rourke. cast in this uh, in this movie. Eh? Yeah, honestly, the whole cast is just incredible. Uh, you know, you got uh, Michael J. Fox voicing Milo, who honestly, I, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I, absolutely. I, I thought I had heard his. I mean, obviously, I'd heard his voice before, but I thought that there was another animated character that he had also voiced mm-hmm. in a similar role. Like, oh, like oh, you you mean Stuart Little? Oh, maybe <laughs> I don't know. I guess you're Michael right. J. Fox does voice. Yeah, he's, he does. Yeah, he's in he's all of the Stuart acting. Little movies. Like, that's the thing. Michael J. Fox did not just do Stuart Little one. He did. He said, I'm on board for Stuart Little. (laughs) And I didn't know this, but you guys told me that the the king of Atlantis is Spock. Learn Nimoy. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's cool. That came across as, like, really angry. No, it's it's fine. I didn't watch Star Trek, so feel free to just... It's okay. I know I'm the only Trekkie here, so, you know, just... There's another voice actor in here named Don Novello, who voices Vinny, the demolition guy. And... You love Vinny. I was really happy to look up who this guy is today, because... We have talked about the horrible Casper the Friendly Ghost movie from 1995. And our predecessor, Some Jerks Talk About Movies. That's right, which is also when we talked about Treasure Planet, like we mentioned earlier. Um, We did Casper, and I hated that movie. But one scene that I really liked was when the family that lives in the house is trying to get the ghost out. They bring a priest to try to perform an exorcism to get the ghost out. And they're like, you know what you're doing, right? And the priest is like, well, I mean, I've been on the web. I've seen a lot of videos and stuff. So I'd say I'm pretty confident in my ability. Piece of cake. Piece of crumb cake. And then he walks into the building and then comes back and his head's on backwards and he failed to do anything useful. Anyway, I remember when we were talking about that scene, I was like, that guy reminds me of Vinny, the demolition guy from Atlantis, the Lost Empire. And I remember Tristan saying, I wonder if it's the same guy. I don't know if we looked it up that day, but I looked it up today, and it is the same guy. <laughs> and amazing. that just tickles me pink. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, honestly, I love how like well-developed all the characters are. Because like, you've got Vinny, who, like, yeah, he's a demolitions expert, but he grew up like in a family that owns flower shops. Uh, you've got... <laughs> blanking on the other characters' names. There's Audrey. Dirt Boy. Mole. Yes. Sweet. They all have... Backstories that we get to hear, with the exception of Mole, right. whose backstory was censored, apparently. Right. <laughs> uh, yep. We get to hear them during the every 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 Disney movie's got one where you have to you get to meet the deep side of the cast, and mm-hmm. you really get to see oh, where's everyone from. Wow, what's all right? We're gonna take a breather right now. We're gonna relax a little bit. We're gonna dip a little bit in our in our in our journey to the climax. Mm-hmm. We're gonna see yeah. right, what's going on. The uh, characters are more than they seem. Like, then he's not just a guy who likes to blow stuff up. Audrey isn't just a mechanic. So I agree with you that most of the characters are more than they say. Yeah, most of them. Uh, not Rourke. Yeah, Rourke and Helga. First of all, we get none of Helga, and I hate it because I think she would have been the best character in the movie. I, I totally agree. We get a little bit, uh, like, when Rourke like, first hints that he's going bad, which if you can't tell, well, sorry. Um, when she's... he hints, do you mean when he walks on screen for the right. first time? <laughs> well, I, I'm and there's thinking... also the big moment when he's talking to Helga in the car. Is that the moment you're talking about? You, you were well, talking. I'm thinking of the part where she's like, "I didn't realize there were going to be people here. Like there weren't supposed to be people here. This changes everything." And then he's like, "No, this changes nothing." Like you get a little bit like maybe she won't be bad. 
but then she just doesn't do anything with it. I have two questions. And one that, well, not really two questions, but I do just want to bring this up. I think Helka might actually be the first Disney character to have a spaghetti string top. Um, I have no idea. I think she might be. Because uh, Lilo and Stitch comes out after this, and I know that uh, Nani uh, has one. Uh, that's not important, though. This is the this is the actual <laughs> point I was going to make. That's movie uh, history. Uh, Elijah, you were talking about... You were talking about how there are certain things in animation that just societally and culturally we're conditioned to believe. Do you think that we as a culture, as a society, we have been kind of conditioned to view any character whose head is very block-shaped? Do you think we could be conditioned to think of them as the villain? Because you look at Rourke, you look at Clayton from Tarzan, you can look at uh, Pete to a certain extent, has somewhat of a of a squarish head. Do you think that could be? Uh, I'm I'm going to say no, if for no other reason than Bruce Wayne. But I can't think of another example. Counterpoint: Tarzan. Uh, what the most chiseled jawline of any? <laughs> yeah, but I've you seen. have Clayton in that movie, who is literally a square. Well, I remember remarking as a kid watching Batman the animated series, like this guy. His face is a square. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think what that does is it presents a character who is usually someone who's strong, like physically strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the the facial structure of some of a man who is or woman, I guess anyone who's like has that very square jaw. If you've ever someone who you might think of as strict or like enforces the rules or intimidating, and that's just like classic disney villain take charge kind of guy yeah okay so this just made me really quick remember uh so there's another character who i can think of who's a villain in a movie um whose head is kind of block shaped if you've ever seen the anime version of of uh the dark knight returns mm-hmm. part two the beginning of that movie batman is fighting neo-nazis right so that that's our that's our setup and there's that's my batman uh, Tristan just made me think about this. Tristan just made me think about this um, because he said, you know, man or a woman who has a block-shaped head. Um, there's a woman in there who has no top on, um, has swastikas across her her nipples, um, and her head is very block-shaped. Mm-hmm. And that just That's just just recollected that. That's I think it touches at the you know they're big, they're intimidating, like they're muscular, like they're gonna do something. Okay, yeah, I mean, that's fair. Um, so two characters we didn't really talk about are, I guess, the two main characters, Milo and Kida. It's another movie with a relationship that didn't probably didn't need to happen. You're right. Mm-hmm. You know? I would disagree. I think their relationship's actually really good. Okay, cool. But, like, we didn't it... need that another one. And, like, of course the main character's going to fall in love with the girl. Do we really need that? Just let it be friends. I would just like to... Much preferred they just stay friends. Yeah. I like the two of them together, although I will bring this up because we didn't mention it. Cree Summer voices uh versus voices Kida. Uh Cree Summer's like a voice acting legend. Um just just wanted to bring that up because we did not mention her in the opening. I mean I think it's also important to remember she's like eight thousand years old. Yeah, that is that is true. That 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 doesn't work really in my favor. Um, yeah. 
I wouldn't approve of my kid dating someone with an 8,000 year Well, I mean, his parents are dead and his grandfather's dead, so I mean... <laughs> so who's know. gonna I say? I mean, it is a Disney movie, so the parents have to be dead. Right. And we ensure that all parents are dead by the end of this movie. <laughs> Larry Nimoy, gone. Also, rest in peace, Larry Nimoy. Uh, but, oh, no. uh It was okay. He died a few years ago. Um, <laughs> that, that doesn't make it okay. Yeah. Well, just, just say oh, it. Just say be it, okay man. with death, Ben. I was going to say, I'm pretty sure Milo's an INFP like me, so I liked him for that reason. I I related to his nerdy dorkiness. Mm -hmm. And um, And I think Michael uh, Michael J. Fox captured that really well. Yeah, his voice is phenomenal. My only only gripe against Michael J. Fox's voice acting is that, I love Michael J. Fox, but his voice is really Mm -hmm. high-pitched. And it always makes me think of a younger character. And I think Milo's supposed to be like, mid to late 20s in this and it's just weird hearing that voice i mean i still think he does a phenomenal job and the character's great it's just it i mean given his person given the personality of the character i think it fits yeah yeah i mean it's fine it's just i don't know that's that's my one thing against against the voice acting in this movie yeah and uh the the thing we said about kita earlier the thing that i said to you guys while we were watching the movie is that she's a very unique disney princess that slept on nobody really pays attention I, I get where you're coming from. I think they could have done more with her. Yeah. Because, like, in a lot of Disney princess films, the princess is the main character. Kida is far from the main character. And she does, in fact, become a damsel in distress before right. it's over. So, they have to save the princess. Uh, I don't know if she's distressed. I, I mean, she's pretty powerful. I you're guess right. she needs to go back to her source of power. They think Someone she's a damsel in distress. Right. Yeah. And she's kind of, like, baited to movie watchers as a damsel in distress. I do just want to bring this up uh, one more time. Uh, Kida is one of the few uh, Disney princesses who we get to see transition from princess to queen. So, you know. Right on. Oddly enough, uh, the two Disney princesses who become queens that I can think of right now have superpowers. Elsa. Elsa and Kida. Well, Kida doesn't technically have superpowers. She has ancient Atlantean tech that... Uh, is really cool. Don't we also see Anna become queen at the yeah. end of Frozen 2? Yeah. Spoilers. Uh, Sorry. It's been out for a little while. I've never seen good. that. So I was talking about like the cool uh, Atlantean tech, and I think, just in general, the Atlantean mythology that we see in this movie is really cool, because we get like a lot of backstory uh, into like, how Atlantis sunk, like how like futuristic and advanced them as a society were. Yeah, I thought, you know what I thought was cool? Biblical references. Yeah. That was interesting. That was woven in there pretty nicely, like the Leviathan mentioned mm-hmm. in the Book of Job. This also reminded me of the Dwemer from the Elder Scrolls games. I'm I'm a new inductee into those games. I just, uh, along with Ben, mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we just played Skyrim recently, and I was like, oh, this is like that one thing in Skyrim. Mm-hmm. So that was a cool connection for Maybe, me this yeah. time around. Yeah. I, uh, I don't necessarily have a whole lot to contribute in terms of the uh, discussion on how this... Atlantean mythos stacks up against other Atlantean mythoses. Mytho, mythi. <laughs> sure. Um, I will say that I really do like the fact that they do make this feel like an ancient civilization that was both advanced and also mm. primitive isn't the word I want to use, but it's the only word I can think of right now. I mean, I, um, I think to an extent it fits. I don't know that there's a better descriptor. You know, I feel like I feel like Atlantis and its purest form kind of rides that line mm-hmm. 
of that kind of civilization. And I feel like they represent that very well here. In contrast to uh, to the other remarkable Atlantean mythos that I can think of off the top of my head, you know, SpongeBob SquarePants, where <laughs> they are very advanced in tech, not not very primitive. I mean, they have nukes. Uh-huh. Uh, <clears throat> and then there's Aquaman. Yeah, so that's where, oh, yeah. what I was thinking. Uh, I recently got done watching Young Justice, um, which is a quality show. Uh, if, if y'all haven't seen it, um, but like you kind of get at least a look at some of the Atlantean culture. The biggest difference that I think you see, um, like in most, or at least like in the realm of DC Comics, Atlanteans can breathe underwater unlike they are essentially underwater beings. Whereas in this, they're not. Like, they're just normal humans, which I think is an interesting difference. Like that that is a good point to bring up because i think i think what a lot of people nowadays if you say like what you think of when you think of atlantis you know it's an underwater city but i think in so you don't necessarily think of it as like an underwater city you think of it as a city underwater if that makes sense a city that sank yeah and i think i think when you go back to like the most basic basic mythology um, about Atlantis, it's not that it was like a city underwater, it was just a lost city that sank into the ocean. Right. So, I feel, yeah, good point, good point. Much like the city of Atlanta and Futurama. Pretty um, sure. And the original myth is Greek, and Plato mentions it. Plato did um, make that quote, I did look it up. And yeah, uh, Milo mentions Plato's writings about Atlantis. But in this movie, it's placed close to Iceland, mm-hmm. which is an interesting choice. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that was mostly done to, like uh, like he's talking about, uh, he found the shield thing and found out that it had been like misquoted or like mistranslated. Yeah, although even though I really like all the, all the lore and mythology going on in this story, that scene was dumb. He said one of the letters was mistranslated. Yes, thank so that you. they thought it was in Ireland, but it turned out to be so in Ireland. So you're telling me the Atlantean alphabet has the exact same number of characters as the Gregorian? No, that's our calendar. What <laughs> the is The Latin it? alphabet? The Latin alphabet. Um, uh, yeah, and they just, rather than translating like word by word or phrase by phrase, they go letter by letter uh, yeah. to give us what the original text was. Also, real quick, just going to throw this one out there. Um, Iceland was formed, I believe, in the 1500s. Um, slash, like, named Iceland in the 1500s. So, like, you're only saying Atlantis is only, like, 400 years old. So, like... Maybe it was just a land of ice, Doug. Well, that's why well, they Iceland named it Iceland. is not a land of ice. It's could, not. Could be any of them, though. Maybe it's some well, other Well, then you're land looking for Greenland or something in the Arctic. Sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> and, I'm still not not Iceland and I'm still TM. confused. You know, if that's what it is, I'm still confused as to why they thought it was Ireland to begin with. Yeah. They said, he said one of completely, the letters was mistranslated. Completely not in the Arctic shelf. <laughs> yeah. That's, um, that's the one thing about this movie that I can think of offhand. I'm like, <laughs> that's just dumb. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, Geographically, fair. this does not make right. sense. People living 8,000 years, I'm fine with that. But the translating letter by letter, that's ridiculous. At least he only said that to a bunch of brooms. So You're yeah. right. <laughs> say, I will say that scene as a whole was funny. Uh, like him. And honestly, something I relate to, like preparing what you're going to say before you actually say it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, 
Ireland, Iceland, that was dumb. All right, boys, let's rate this thing. Uh, for those of y'all who don't know, uh, we here at Setting the Skeen, we have a scale. Uh, it goes from 1 to 100. Uh, you can kind of think of it as your normal uh, grade scale that you would think of in uh, grade school or college or whatever kind of school you want to. Anything that requires grades, American really. grade school. American grade school, yeah. Um, so yeah, 100 means it is a perfect movie. There is no movie that has been better made. One means it's an irredeemable pile of turds. So who wants to start? Yeah, I got you. This movie is perfectly average. I'm going to give it a 70. Okay. I'm going to disagree with you there. Uh, I think this is much better than average. Uh, and maybe a little bit of that is nostalgia. Uh, I don't think it's perfect. I don't think it's nearly as good as uh, Into the Spider-Verse that we watched last week. But I'm going to give this movie a solid 82. Okay. I gave it an 87. Um which is pretty close to what I gave Into the Spider-Verse. I think I gave that a 90, because that's a mm. super good movie. This movie's pretty close, even without the nostalgia element, which I know is a part of my my uh, love for this movie. It's still just cool. <laughs> it's a cool movie, so I'm giving it an 87. That's a high B. That's a good movie. Yeah, I'm going to give this an 81. And I... I looked at my, my score, I'll be honest, I looked at my score from back from Some Jerks, for Treasure Planet, and I gave that thing an eight, and I, you know, I'm like, this was sort of on par with Treasure Planet, but maybe like a little bit better. Okay. So I thought an eighty-one. All right. Uh, well, after plugging that into our scoreometer, I don't know why which, I just said which that. is what Ben calls the calculator <laughs> app on his. Welcome phone. to the Sang the Skeen Scorometer. It's a oh, scorometer. That, that good. That's what we use. But anyway, scorometer. Uh, so the final score, uh, Doug brought it down a little bit, but it was an eighty, which is still a solid B film. I think it's better than a B film, but yeah. Doug, what are we talking about next week? Great question. Uh, so we, uh, you know what, we're gonna get. Oh, trust me, I know what movie we have. Okay. Um, I was trying to figure out the best way to set it up. Okay. Uh, because you know we're talking about a movie that is completely non-divisive. No one, no one really disagrees about this movie. Nobody yeah, no hates this movie at all. No one had problems with this movie before it came out, ladies and gentlemen. We are talking about the critical darling, the smash hit, Ghostbusters twenty sixteen. I've never seen it. I've never I seen have. the I, original. I I genuinely like it. I've never seen a Ghostbusters movie either. Okay, I've never seen any. All right. Oh Anything. wow. We need we need to fix this. No, I think, no, I think our week. I think our first one's going to be the new one, Doug. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, if you want to find out where to uh, find us, go back and listen to the ad break where I explained all of that. Uh, in the meantime, I'm Ben. I'm Doug. I'm Tristan. I'm Elijah. And this has been Setting the Skeen. Y'all have a great week.